time lapse. This is State of Demand Gen. So it's great to have you here. Um, this this great man needs no introduction, but for those that don't know him, I'm sure that he's the one that attracted the audience, not me. So um, Udi Wettergaard, the uh, CMO of Gong, um, would love to give you the floor to kind of just talk a little bit about what you're doing, and then we can get into the main event. Great to have yeah. you. Absolutely. Well, my, my husband appreciates any opportunity I get to lecture outside of our home. So I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, yeah, I've I've been with Gong for four and a half years now. Um, first marketer at the company, and uh, I I was brought on very very early by uh, Amit, the CEO and co-founder. Uh, he had a team of about a dozen R and D people when when I joined, and uh, this is the third company that he and I are working at together. So that uh, that that might give you some hints on the great alignment that we have on the. The place of marketing in the company and uh, sort of the resourcing and priorities that we we give to it. But I'm I'm happy to be here, and uh, I guess we'll we'll take it uh, by the order that Chris uh, assigns the questions. Yeah, yeah, and you can feel free to drop in whatever you want as well. So we'll we'll kind of go on this. But um, the main reason that we that prompted me to reach out one is that you're awesome, but also that like. I think everyone saw that there was a B2B software company that was running a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah. And how so, crazy is that? <laughs> um, so I want to dive deeper into this, but just like talk me through what the thought process around this. I think it's going to be super, uh, super valuable for people. Happy, happy to talk about that. So, um, you know, if, if you've been following Gong for a while, it shouldn't come as a great surprise that we, we did the Super Bowl, right? Because uh, one of the, mantras that that I have and uh, Amit, our CEO has, and I think our entire team lives by is, is trying to be different. And that's how you stand out. If you do what everyone else is doing, I mean, if there's a two words that we hate, it's best practices. When someone makes it to that realm of best practices, it's because everyone is doing it by then. And then by definition, it's not a best practice. It's an ordinary practice. And if you do the ordinary stuff, you're going to get ordinary results. So I rarely look for best practices unless like I'm trying to figure out something that I've never, ever done before. So I, I want to educate myself and see what others have been doing to see what I like, what I don't like, what might be a good fit. But uh, once you get into the rhythm of things and you're you're doing a job that you're qualified for, like the last thing I look for is best practices because you're just going to get ordinary results by doing what everyone's already doing. Um, so I think that led us over the years to look for different ways of standing out. And I'll, I'll just name a few random ways before we get to the Super Bowl. Uh, so it makes more sense. Uh, two and a half years ago, we launched our visual brand at Gong and we looked at what everyone else was doing, right? The best practices. You know what the best practices for a B2B website are? I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, you've got to use all the safe colors, which are what one of my team members, Danny, calls a Series A blue. So look at all the Series A companies. They pretty much use the same blue for the website because it looks safe and it looks like a best practice, right? So they went with blue. So, okay, okay, check. We're not going to use blue. Then you look at the, the hero part of the homepage of every B2B company, they have a big Mac screen with a screenshot you will not understand of their software, right? That's what every B2B company does. 
So we're not going to do that. And then we kept going and we're like, okay, this looks like they paid some illustrator on Fiverr to quickly make their logo and make some icons. And then of course they use lots of stock imagery because that's what's going to make them look sophisticated, right? Uh, photos of, of uh, overly lit rooms with people in business suits shaking hands because that's how we all dress for work, right? This, this is my business suit. So we're not going to do that. And we just kept building that checklist of what everyone is doing and just going the exact opposite direction. So while everyone was showing screenshots, we had a radical idea. Let's show human beings. Let's actually have human beings at the top of our website and not screenshots. Everyone was trying to be overly serious because I feel a lot of companies and, and executives confuse being an authority with being boring. Well, they don't have to be synonymous. We can actually be the number one authority in the world on data-backed sales but still be quirky and approachable and have a bulldog as a mascot. So we auditioned seven dogs for the role of Bruno the dog. This is a true story. We auditioned seven dogs for the role of Bruno the dog and Bruno the English bulldog made it. If, if you go to our website, gong.io, you can have a chat with him um, in the chat, the, the Bruno bot. And he's all over our swag and, and other materials. And he's been a huge, huge hit and completely recognizable with the brand today. And so we we threw out all the traditional Series A blues and we went for bright pink and purple. And we threw out all the stock photography. There isn't a single stock photo on the website. Like, go good luck finding one. We actually took a dozen actresses and actors from a wide range of uh, ethnic backgrounds and age groups. And we commissioned a photo shoot and we chose their wardrobe and we decided, well, what shoes would they really be wearing for work? Not the ones in the stock photos. And we bought them shoes and, and clothes and we made them like look together good as an ensemble. And we really put a lot of thought into this. So we created this dream sales team that everyone wants to be a part of, right? Like go check out the characters. You wanna be in the room where they're having their tacos right now. That, that seems like the funnest party in town. So, so that's how we build the brand. And then fast forward, I promise I'm getting to your question, Chris. <laughs> fast forward. The background is awesome. I love yeah. it. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's essential to understand, like you don't just wake up one morning and say, oh, maybe we'll try our luck with the Super Bowl commercial. Mm -hmm. No, this is four and a half years in the making of thinking differently and doing the exact opposite of what everyone is doing. And so we're looking at, okay, what are, how do, how do we communicate with where our audience is? And for those who don't know, Gong sells to sales leaders and sales professionals. Well, they all live on LinkedIn and it sounds obvious now, but it took us a few months to figure this out. When, when I started back in 2016, I was, I was checking out Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and it, it, you can see sales leaders in all of these places, but turns out that LinkedIn is where they really come and they're in the zone for being educated and entertained and distracted. And that's where they live. They have an open LinkedIn tab open all day long, looking for their next job, their next hire, their next business partner. So that's where we decided to focus most of our uh, effort. And, and so we decided to create dedicated LinkedIn content. We were the first company in the world to do a, a live weekly show on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn came to us when they had the alpha version of uh, what then became LinkedIn Live. And they said, hey, Gong, like you guys create the most awesome content on LinkedIn. <laughs> 
we want you to try this new format because if it fails, we know it wasn't because of your content because that's really good. It's because of the format. So we, we tested out their LinkedIn live format for a few months and we, we always look for these really, really cool uh, opportunities. Uh, I'll give a couple of final examples before I get to Super Bowl. Um, so back in the last live Dreamforce here in San Francisco, that was 2019, um, we were thinking, okay, how do we hijack some traffic and attention without paying Mark Benioff a couple of million dollars to get a tiny booth and have a steward behind the booth? So uh, I, I never paid a dime to, to Salesforce to sponsor their show. I, I thought that would be a, a waste of money. Uh, but what I did do is I, uh, I came across an advertising company called Rapify that helped me take 20 uh, rideshare cars from Uber and um, Lyft and wrap them in Gong branding. We, we had just launched our new category, Revenue Intelligence, which I'm also happy to talk about if we get the time. And so we wrapped these 20 cars and I had this uh, evil, uh, e e evil leader map where I could see in real time all the cars around Moscone Center and I paid them an extra bonus to swarm around Moscone Center in the morning hours as they were dropping off attendees to Dreamforce and in the afternoon hours as they were picking up attendees to go to the happy hours. And so we got a ton of awareness at Dreamforce at a, at a cost of really pennies uh, and without like paying a single dollar to, to Salesforce. And, and, and so that's another yet example of, uh, mm -hmm. of what we're doing. The I same knew company, that one. I was, I was going to ask you, you about that? it. I, yeah, I saw that. Um, a few <laughs> months ago, the same company came to me and said, you know, we've got this pilot in San Jose, a company called uh, KiwiBot are doing these food delivery robots and they're looking for a corporate sponsor to test it. I'm like, of course I'm in food delivery robots. Of course, that, that's what I've been looking for. So we did food delivery robots for a while um, and uh, we're, we're still trying to figure out if we can use them in a more targeted way. Imagine that you're trying to sell to a CMO like me, okay? And you know that I order pizza once a week for my kids. What if the robot delivered the pizza with your branding on it? That would get noticed, right? So, so we're experimenting with all these really, really cool things that I'm just leaving the noise and the clutter behind. Like, I don't want to fight the bloody oceans where everyone is trying to get your attention or in the same way that everyone's trying to get your attention. I'm trying to do things differently. So I finally get to the Super Bowl. Uh, so about three months ago, um, I get an email from uh, from a nice uh, sales lady at CBS, Monica. And Monica is pitching me Super Bowl media. And my first response is like, Monica, thanks for reaching out. You're probably a couple of years early. Like, I don't have five and a half million dollars to pay for a national spot. And she responds within five minutes and she says, uh, hey, Udi, you know, you could come in at much, much lower than that if you go regional. Um, would you like to chat this week? I'm like, you know, Monica, you've piqued my curiosity. Let's chat. And I jump on a call and I learned that the Super Bowl pricing of the advertising is based on B2C brands, how they are willing to pay, right? Because if I'm Pepsi-Cola, um, I want to pay for where there's a lot of population that can buy Pepsi-Cola. So in densely populated areas, you're going to pay a lot of money to, to air your commercial and with the maximum being the national commercial, which is priced at over $5 million for 30 seconds, which is way more than my budget. Um, but if you're a B2B company like me and you only have a short list of specific cities where most of your customer and prospect hubs are, there's actually an arbitrage opportunity to pay the B2C pricing, but only for the few cities that you need. So you end up paying relatively pennies 
for getting the exact areas that you want. So I'm like, okay, Monica, uh, if 60% of my audience is in Silicon Valley or the San Francisco Bay area, and let's add uh, New York and Seattle. And if I had a little more budget, I'd probably add Boston, Chicago, maybe Austin. What does that come out to? And it turns out that comes out to like less than 5% the cost of the national commercial. I'm like, okay, this I can actually go defend. Uh, so that's, just thinking creatively about, you don't have to buy the most expensive media there. I, I can get to 90% of my audience for 5% of the price. So that's that's the route that we took. Um, and then I took my CEO out for drinks. Now my CEO, uh, I, I knew that like me, he gets excited with these things of doing things very, very, very differently. So while we were on our second drink, I'm like, so Amit, I had this interesting call this week with CBS. <laughs> They're broadcasting the, the Super Bowl this year. And uh, like I was in my second sentence of saying something like, so I wanted to get you excited about this opportunity so we can go twist the arm of our CFO. I didn't even finish the sentence. He's like, okay, I'm excited. What do we do? How much does it cost? Let's do this. Um, and the next the next day, he already helped me pitch this to the CFO, and uh, we 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 dealt with the grumpy face. He asked me what our expectations are. Um, so Amit actually toned down expectations, and he said, "Look, this is a long-term brand awareness play, but nobody in our space is doing this. So by definition, we stand out by doing this, and we're like automatically in another leap." And I said, "You know, I'm going to be a bit bolder. I'm I'm going to make a bet that our previous record for." Uh, new business opportunities created. I, I can't share the exact number with you, but mm -hmm. the, the previous record was set um, a few months ago when we announced our latest round of finance. It, it, it was a 200 million D round. And uh, that, that broke a bunch of records, as you can imagine, on inbound traffic and uh, new ops created. And I told Tim, my CFO, I bet we can beat that with the Super Bowl. Uh, plus, we're hiring 400 gongsters this year. That traffic probably won't hurt the career page of the website either. So I was like, okay, we'll see. Um, so we did it. Um, I'll, I'll get to the creative in a minute because I, I see some questions here on that, but I'll, I'll maybe yep. jump to the to the results for the spoiler. Um, the spoiler is we, we did break all the records <laughs> by a margin and the Super Bowl week became our biggest week in the history of gong for new business opportunities created. It was the best week ever. So even the grumpy CFO is, is fairly I got happy. goosebumps, man. Or, like that's or, or a, whatever that's a the happiness story. equivalent for CFOs is. Uh, <laughs> that's a great story. Um, yeah. So let's get I, the next thing on the roadmap. Uh, first, like that is awesome. Your thought process around it, how you went about it. L love that targeting the cities. What was the creative strategy? I want to get deep into this one. Yeah. So, um, you know, every time we do a cool commercial or uh, explainer video or, or uh, last Christmas, we did a bunch of we did a series of, I think, five holiday commercials that were kind of over the top uh, on social media. And a bunch of people asking, like, who did that for you? I, I want them to do my commercial. And I happily share all, all of my providers. I, I think it's stupid to keep them a secret. Um, so I'm happy to share all the providers I work with. But here's what I don't think people get, which is how deeply involved the client has to be to get outstanding results. Um, and it's not just me saying like, you know, the branding agency that created Gong's visual brand, it's an agency in Israel. They're called Atreo, uh, A-T-R-E-O dot C-O. And they're wonderful. Um, but they will they will be the first to admit that by working with me and Amit closely for six months, we were able to achieve the results that we achieve together when they work with other companies that don't know what they want or aren't as committed to the process or aren't willing to take bold risks like we are, you get a meh result. And the same goes for videos and the same goes for anything creative that 
you're going to create or any type of content that you're going to create. So, so that that's a disclaimer around sort of how we think about the creative. So here's in a nutshell, how I was thinking about the Super Bowl creative. Um, even before we started thinking about the, the plot or what are we going to do or who's going to act in it? The first thing I thought about is who's the audience? Like who, who's this going out to? And because the Super Bowl, despite the best targeting that I described to you of taking only certain cities that I'm targeting, it's still like the most terrible targeting of all the mediums that I've used to date, right? Because if I go to LinkedIn, I can target Angelica because she's a VP of sales at a company of this size in this industry, in this um, geography. I can't do that with Super Bowl. Like the only targeting I got is, is geography. But I've got everyone from toddlers to retirees, everyone from uh, the food industry to, to singer songwriters watching my Super Bowl commercial. How do I weed out the sales leaders in the audience and make sure that they don't go to the bathroom during that commercial break? Because in the first second of the commercial, they realize that this is for them. So that, that was the first thing that kept me up for a few nights. And when I, when I came to our creative partners, we, we used a creative studio. Their name is PictureLab.tv. That's PictureLab.tv. Uh, they're a Bay Area-based uh, creative studio, and they've done a lot of live action video for us over the last three years. And I said, look, we, we have a targeting issue here. Even before you get to the story, like I need every sales leader in the audience watching the Super Bowl in the first frame of the commercial to know that this is for them. Um, so let me bring that up real quickly to show you what we did in that first frame to, to answer that. Uh, in case you haven't watched uh, the commercial. Yeah, let's do a live, a live preview. Yep. So, you know, I'm not going to even play it for now. I'm just going to show you the first frame. But this is the first frame of our Super Bowl commercial. Mm. Now, does that make more sense? Do you understand what I was going for? I wanted to make yeah. sure that every sales leader in the audience stopped with their Doritos bag and held on to that bio break for another 30 seconds. Don't leave the screen now because this is for you. So that, that is the first thing that I was thinking about. How do I draw in all those, all those sales leaders? So, so nothing is random there, right? That there's a reason we made three versions of that nameplate and we tested them under the lighting to see which one would have the most contrast. And, and uh, we, we had like, I asked them, I was on set for, for shooting this. Uh, we, we tilted it in a very certain way that it, it just filled the screen enough without being too in your face, um, but but got your attention. So, um, so that's how we started. Um, so I'm like, okay, now here's the challenge. Um, this commercial needs to be an enjoyable watch for everyone, including the singer songwriters, caterers, and, and, um, fitness coaches out there. It needs to be enjoyable, but I want the sales professionals to feel like they're in this exclusive club and have some references in there that will make even more sense to them. And they will like have a super enjoyable time watching this. Um, so you, you'll see a reference at the very end to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross uh, about uh, coffee is for closers. Uh, I'll play the commercial in a minute so you'll, you'll hear it. So we we did a take on that um, on that reference that is still amusing to someone who doesn't know anything about sales, but those in sales really get it. And we got a ton of comments from people that got the reference. Oh my God, like I've been waiting for this. So um, so that was that was the, the challenge there. How do we weed out the, the sales professionals in the audience and give them a message that makes a ton of sense to them and 
unlike most of the marketing and content that we create for social channels where I get a chance to display content over and over and over again to the audience where I can take them on a journey, this was, I was thinking about this as a one-time thing, right? I may never get a chance to pitch these people again sitting in front of the Super Bowl. So this has to count. So it has to be, I can't assume that they've ever heard the name Gong. Unlike most Super Bowl commercials where it's like a Pepsi or Doritos, these are repeating brands that you've seen a million times before. So they don't need to tell you who they are, what they manufacture, where you can buy their product. Like imagine all these things that they don't have to do that I have to do in my 30 seconds. I'm selling to people who have never heard of Gong before. They don't even know that this is a software product. Where do they go to buy it? And what is it used for and who is supposed to use it and why do they need to care? I had to get all of that in 30 seconds. Um, so so that's that that was the the creative brief. And I I think mm-hmm. I think we figured it out pretty well. Uh do we want to watch it? 30 seconds. Let's take a vote from the audience. I got a couple thumbs up. All Let's right. do it. Let's watch it for those who have not <laughs> this first Super Bowl commercial. Here we go. thing happened this year. My sales team went remote, leaving everyone feeling a little, little. But my sales team got through it with Gong. Thanks to Gong, I know when a deal's going south. Gong even shows us what our top reps are doing. So now the whole team's doing it. That means more coffee for more closers. Grow your revenue with Gong. So that was the commercial. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so the idea there, we wanted to make it look like this was not something generic because in the background, I had a, a fallback plan. I had uh, my team re-edit three-year-old footage from a two-minute long explainer with, with, with the same actor, Michael, um, into a 30-second commercial. The problem with that is that it was in a busy office hustling and busting with people, not wearing masks, sitting in meeting rooms together. And I was going like, you know, this doesn't feel real in 2021. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel real. Like I, I can't, I can't air this right now. Yeah. And so we ended up flying the actor from New Hampshire to, to reshoot this entire commercial. And you see, he's the only actor on set. And he starts by saying, funny thing happened this year. My team went remote. Okay. Now I'm listening. This is real. This is timely. This is just like what my team went through this year. So now I'm listening. And then he, he took it through the whole story. He showed a couple of screenshots so that we know this is software, the call to action. Like we worked for the last few days of editing just to steal another half a second to show the website address at the end. So people know where to go. Um, so every every split second has to have a lot of thought in it when you only have 30 seconds to tell an entire story like that. The attention to detail. So cool. Um, and across whatever medium, I'm sure that you agree with this, Udi, across whatever medium, the creative really makes a difference about whether or not you're successful. Right. Like especially on LinkedIn, like you can target whoever you want, but it depends on what is your objective and what are you putting in front of those people? And does it actually create an action? Uh, so I want to talk about. That's very true. I, I'll, wanna, I'll just I'll just add one qualifier yeah, though. When you said creative, um, I think there's two levels to that. There's mm. the actual message, and then there's the packaging. And the message mm-hmm. and man matters a lot more than the packaging. So you could have you know an ugly website of black text on a white background, but if you know what the message you're trying to deliver is, it'll work. A pretty website will not make up for a bad story. If you don't know who your audience is, what their pain is, if you're 
solution doesn't clearly solve a problem they have, you can bring the, the best designers from Apple. They're not going to make it work. Okay. So you've got to get the, the message straight first and then you build a packaging around that. Yeah. It's a really great point. So I got, I got two places that I want to go and I'm trying to decide in my head right now, which one I'm going to go to first. Talk to me. So a lot of people that run Super Bowl specifically in B2C or direct to consumer brands, um, think about the after the Super Bowl airs, how much attention they get on social after. Did you experience that? What was it like? Sure. So, um, you know, when uh, my CEO uh, consulted with a couple of board members before giving me the final go ahead, um, they both said uh, the, the two board members he asked, asked uh, told him, well, you know, we're, we're usually not fans of B2B companies doing Super Bowl because it's usually a huge waste of money. They don't know how to use it correctly. But we, we trust you and Udi. You always manage to find a creative solution to so go for it. So Amit forwards me the, the email thread with, with one line. He says, basically, your neck is on the line. Good luck. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. And so I set out to build an entire digital campaign to support mm -hmm this 30 seconds of, of very expensive airtime. So we started a digital campaign one week before the game and we continued it a full week after the game. And it included everything from employee advocacy. So we had hundreds of gongsters share the commercial on Sunday and Monday, getting us hundreds of thousands of views. I, I was one of the first to share it on Sunday and it, it it just blew up completely on on LinkedIn. You know, if you've ever wondered, is, is Sunday a terrible time to share? Well, it's not. If you've got something exciting to share, uh, people couldn't stop commenting. Go go check out the the LinkedIn post I posted on Sunday on Super Bowl. Like there were over a thousand engagements, hundreds of comments, hundreds of shares. People were going wild about it. And then we're like, okay, what else do people love? free swag. So we tied it in with a swag campaign, which we've done a million times and it works every single time. Uh, we printed two special edition Gong Super Bowl t-shirts. Um, one of them has Bruno the dog in a, in, a, in a football helmet. The other just has the helmet on it. And the back says like closer. And uh, we, we said, let's, let's print 200 of these t-shirts. Within a few hours of me posting that commercial on Sunday morning saying, if you share this, Vince from my team will send you a special edition Super Bowl t-shirt. Within a few hours, the 200 were gone, but they were done in the middle of the day on Sunday. So my team went and quickly ran out and like ordered 500 more t-shirts on Monday. Um, so we added swag. Now imagine what that does, right? There's a virtuous cycle there. So if um, Sherry is watching my Super Bowl commercial and she likes it, how can I incentivize her to take her liking of it to the next steps. So I'm, I'm thinking about her journey. Well, if I don't do anything, she might click like, that, that's good, right? Because it tells the LinkedIn algorithm that there's something here likable that they might wanna show to other people. But how can I get her to share this with her network? And I'm guessing on average, each of you have at least 500 people in your network. I'd love to have them in my audience. So what if I give Sherry an incentive for sharing my commercial and make it super simple? Like, hey, Sherry, if you share this commercial and tag on, We'll contact you for an address and send you a T-shirt. Now you're like, well, you know, for three seconds, a cool gong T-shirt sounds like a pretty good deal. So hundreds of people share our commercial. Now every one of those hundreds of people have 500 to 5,000 contacts. You tell me what that does to the audience. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking at the number of views on that. Just the YouTube installation of that commercial has 200,000 views by now. And that's just on YouTube, not including mm -hmm. the native LinkedIn one, not including the one that actually ran on television and not including many other placements of that commercial. Mm -hmm. So you've got to think about how you build an entire campaign around this employee advocacy. We contacted our top 10 influencers 
uh, I won't mention their name because uh, you've heard some yeah. of them and, and some of them uh, sort of do this more organically. But we had all the top influencers in our network share this on Monday morning, giving us boom, another huge audience for this. Um, and then, of course, you know, social media, we 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 use the commercial for both a paid uh, campaign for the week and also posted it organically on Gong's page and had hundreds of Gongsters shared on their pages. So, you know, it blew up, but you've got to plan these things. <laughs> Yeah. And so you, you kind of beat me to the chase on because I was going to ask about attribution, but clearly that's not an issue because you had your best performing ever. Right. Like the correlation is enough, but um, especially from that different time period. But I want to talk to you about attribution. It's something that I work with a lot of companies that get caught up in it. A lot of the things that you're doing are going to be difficult to measure, like the um, the food truck thing that drops off your pizza. Like, how are you going to measure that unless you know that it's going to Susie? And so um so how do you think about that? Like you must have very, and then I want to get to CEO, CMO alignment, which it seems like you guys are great. I think people yeah. can learn from that, but let's talk about attribution first. Sure. So here's a really simple approach to how we treat attribution. I use the rule of thumb, of thumb trying to spend 80% of my program's budget on things that I can clearly attribute to revenue. So 80% of my program budget goes to things I can attribute to revenue. 20% of my stuff, I don't want to even talk to my CFO. Just leave me alone. Let me do what I do. I'm bringing you enough pipeline with the 80% you can attribute. Trust me that the other 20% will be used wisely, but I'm not going to even try and show you how this is working. And that's where I get to do out of home and television and robots and crazy stuff like that, that nobody's asking me to show them the attribution. Um so if, if you do that and, you know, you have enough from your budget going to things that you can attribute and you show that it's working and you're hitting your numbers, then you should be able to get that trust and, and rope to, to spend another 20% or so of, of your budget. Start at 10% if you're not there yet. Okay. Ask for 10% of your budget. Um, the official budget line um, in the CFO Excel sheet appears as CMO ex, uh, experiments. Uh, under my internal team's budget, it, it appears under Udi's crazy ideas. That, that's what the, the line item says for that budget. And I get I get my budget, um, you know, obviously it grows over the years. So you start modestly, but you've got to have a, a budget for experimenting. I'm, I'm thinking about a million different things. How do I do product placement on Netflix now? What about regional mm -hmm. radio? What are, there's so many things that we're not doing that I don't know if they can help, but I'm not going to be able to attribute them, at least initially. You've got to have some flexibility to work with a certain percentage of the budget that you don't expect to attribute to revenue. Yeah. And I heard a little nuance there, which is that that 80% has got to be getting to your goals or that 20% is probably not going to happen, right? It, so it goes, you without, be hitting, saying. It goes yeah. without saying, you know, as long as you're hitting your numbers consistently, you're going to get a lot of trust, credibility and resources to keep doing what you're doing and build that next wave and next channel and 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 stand out. But uh, make sure that your focus is is in the right place of, of hitting your numbers first. That that goes without saying. So it seems like you and Amit are very aligned. So talk to me about how that works. I've seen that go very well and very not so well, right? Depending on the relationship. And so what are some strategies that you have for CMOs in working with a, a CEO? It seemed like you'd work with them before. That sounds like a really good, good starting point because you are aligned and have experience doing that. But like, 
I just work with enough companies to know that some of the things that you're doing, while I believe they are incredibly smart and incredibly differentiated and very effective, a lot of CMOs would never have the opportunity to do stuff like this. What are some recommendations you have for them? Right. So uh, I've got an answer. I'm not sure everyone's going to like it though. So here, here's the thing. When you're very early stage um, in your career, like all of us were, you have to choose a good company. I mean, you may not even have a lot of choices, right? You, you, you might have only one job offer and then take it by all means. But as soon as you get some choice, first, I would choose company over exact role and make sure it's a company that uh, has experienced leadership and, and they're on a good trajectory. And that if as the company grows, you'll probably get growth opportunities as well. Uh, and you've heard good things about your future boss from other people who either work for him now or her or worked for her in the past. Um, that, that's how I chose my, my first few jobs. And then as you step into more senior leadership positions and you actually have more choices, here's the thing. I don't know how to take a CEO or for that matter, a VP of sales that don't believe in marketing and turn them around. I don't know how to do that. So I just avoid them. I, I go to work for companies where the CEO believes in marketing. It's that simple. Um, and I told you not gonna not all of you are gonna like the answer. It's a right? great answer because, because I'm yeah I mean it's a great answer it's it's painfully true if your current CEO doesn't believe in marketing I don't think you're gonna be able to turn her around I'm I'm sorry just go mm -hmm. go work for a CEO who believes in marketing um, but 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 more seriously I'll, I'll I'll touch on this in two other angles as well one um, I've never met a CEO who didn't believe in sales. But I've met Correct. many CEOs who said, I don't believe in marketing. Like the product <laughs> sells itself. Like we build a wonderful product. Those are usually like engineer type CEOs that are very product centric. And they think that their, their product is God's gift to mankind. And all they need to do is open the doors and everyone will be crashing in like, you know, Black Friday and and, and grab their product. That, that doesn't happen, right? That, that just doesn't happen. Um, so that, that's one problem to solve. The second thing is I, I want us to point our finger at ourselves. You know, the joke about 90% of the lawyers giving a bad reputation to the rest of them. I think marketers share the same thing. So there are a lot of mediocre marketers out there that have never proven great results, that never fully figured it out. And they've given a bad impression to their CEOs, to their VP of sales. And those folks carry that impression to their next company and to their next VP marketing. And so it's first the onus is on us to, to correct that. And to do that, we need to be more open in sharing the thought process behind what we're doing. You know, when I sat with my CFO after he didn't like a couple of uh, holiday commercials that we launched on social media a few months ago, and I explained to him like what I was trying to do, who the audience was, why this part went so crazy, why I didn't even bother explaining the product because I only used this for retargeting an audience that I knew already knew Gong. He goes, you know, that makes a lot more sense now that you explain this to me. Now, if you don't take the time to explain this to your sales leader, to your CEO, to your finance leader, how do you expect them to figure this out? So you've got to be open to sharing your thought process and also being open to getting feedback. I've gotten great ideas for things I've missed or I couldn't have come up with myself from a bunch of people at the company. Um, you know, we, we named our very successful uh, 
annual conference, which is now a quarterly virtual conference, celebrate. Um, the idea came from one of our SDRs, Nicolette, that two years later is now part of the marketing team. Uh, probably no coincidence, but uh, back when she was an SDR, she she came up to the CEO and to me, and she it, there's an internal story that makes more sense if you know it. But basically, she said, "What if what if we called our annual conference celebrate?" And the CEO said, "Nicolette, that's an amazing idea." That shall be the name of our annual conference, and it still is. So you've got to be open to getting great ideas from everyone in the organization and share your thought process. Be very open about it. Share what you know and what's working. Share what you don't know and where you're challenged, and you will earn more trust that way. Love that. We're going to pivot a little bit. So um, I heard early on that you'd mentioned no dream force, and obviously physical events aren't happening right now. But the the question that I have for you is, do you see any things that are happening? Perhaps they're, they fit in your best practice category that marketers should just think about cutting out. Like I'm a big proponent of like, if it's not working, there's no sense in doing it at all. Right. Like I think a lot of people tend to check the box or there are things that, that you see out there, or maybe things that you've done that are, are fit into a best practice that you just don't do anymore. Yeah. I, I think that's a great point, Chris, because um, marketing teams, probably more than any other team, can always, always be busy. There's an infinite amount of activities and campaigns and programs to run. Uh, I've never met a marketing team that wasn't busy, right? We, we have an infinite, infinite number of things that we couldn't be doing. So I think having discipline around cutting out things like Chris suggested is just as important as introducing new things because your, your resources are always going to be limited. Uh, I remember uh, meeting with an executive from Google one day and she was telling me that she outsources the AdWords that she runs for her product line to an external agency because she didn't have enough internal resources at Google to run Google AdWords for a Google product. So even if you're imagining, oh, if I only had more resources like the big companies, no, even at Google, they outsource running their own Google ads for their own Google products to an external agency because they don't have the resources to do that. So if, if, if Google can do that, you can do that. So you can outsource whatever is not core to your offering you can cut out things that are no longer working. Um, here are a few changes that we made in the last 12 months. So one, we've shifted all of our field events like most of us into virtual events. And we've landed on a, an amazing format that I hope stays forever. And I believe will stay forever if not as a standalone virtual event than as a hybrid event. I think just like every meeting, to, for the rest of time is going to be a Zoom meeting because you're not going to ever be able to get all the people you need in the room, like never, ever again. It's always going to be a Zoom meeting. I think events are always going to be a virtual event with some form of hybrid. Even when we can get into a room or an auditorium together, there are going to be another thousand people that couldn't make it, couldn't fly out. They're in a different country, different time zone. They're going to tune in virtually, just like schools are running now, right? The mm -hmm. open schools are doing hybrid. Well, that's how events are going to run forever. If you're not already educating yourself on how to make that work, you're about six or nine months late. So this is how events are always going to run. Don't sit back waiting for field events to come back the way they used to. I don't think they will. I could be wrong, but I don't think they will. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that we did is um, everything that was not digital in my programs budget. So out of home advertising, cars, uh, robots, all of that stuff. I took all of that budget and, and put it into digital this past year because a couple of things happened. One, um, nobody, at least here on the West Coast, is in the office these days. 
Um, not only are we not in the office area where I could carefully choose placement of out of home advertising for say employer branding. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we've done billboards in the last three years, uh, many times to celebrate our outstanding gongsters and, um, showcase them in billboards within a mile's radius from the office, which was strategically placed because I wanted to make sure that every candidate walking into an interview in the office saw one of our billboards. And that's stuck in their mind. And every single candidate that came in mentioned seeing one of our billboards and how that gets them excited because we're uh, we're celebrating our employees on billboards. That, that's kind of a big thing that, again, I haven't seen other companies do. Um, so I stopped doing that. And then um, a, a couple of weeks ago, we had our uh, global kickoff and we had to figure out how are we going to recognize our outstanding gongsters this year? without doing physical billboards, because not only are we not in the office, but 60% of our team members have left town and we're now spread across 20 states in the US. So I'm like, okay, this has to be digital. This has to be virtual, but people still love the feel of a billboard, right? You feel big and important and like you love seeing your face up there in lights. So I'm like, I, I literally had this thought in the shower one morning. I said, okay, what if we created this 3D world where um, we placed our outstanding gongsters in Times Square and in Piccadilly Circus in the UK and in in, uh, in Osaka and in other cities? And I came to a couple of my team members. I'm like, okay, team, ready for another crazy idea? We have a month to build this thing. And then they, they build it. And uh, they came up with this thing, which we shared um, with our outstanding gongsters a couple of uh, weeks ago. So if we go to say Times Square, so we actually built this virtual 3D world. I hope this is showing up well over Zoom. Yeah, it looks great. And we actually put Hannah and Sunny and Laura and our outstanding gongster. You can you can walk and zoom in and pan and build this whole thing. And we, we built this across uh, four different cities, right? So if you wanna go to the UK, Here's Piccadilly Circus for you. I missed that place. And we've, we've got Liam and we've got the recruiting team set up here. And we did that. Where else? Here in Las Vegas. Another spot that we're not going to get to visit very soon. But look, isn't this beautiful? Where we're featuring our, our team on, on billboards. And you can imagine that they're sharing this with their families. They're excited. They love the experience. Like They've never seen anything like this at, at mm -hmm. any other company. So just... You know, this costs like pennies. I've got an internal web uh, programmer uh, who reports to an ops person and a copywriter who managed the project with the graphic designer. And it's like, boom, it just, you, you build it. Right on. I got a final question. And then what we love to do is if we can do like five, 10 minutes of Q&A, we can, maybe there's a couple of questions brewing, but one more question for you. Um, you strike me as a, as a lot of a brand guy, like the executions that you do, the, the company that's been built right now, like it's a lot of the executions are on brand. How do you feel about performance marketing, direct response, drive a lot of leads? So I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because obviously the, the sexy stuff, the, the Super Bowl, the virtual billboards, uh, the, the hacking traffic at uh, Salesforce is, is a lot of brand awareness and creative stuff. But our first priority in most hours of the week, most dollars of the budget and most headcount on the team are heads down doing good old fashioned, not, not old fashioned, but good new fashion, demand generation or revenue marketing. Uh, we're hitting our numbers. We're creating thousands of qualified opportunities. And we use a lot of the same tools that 
I think most of you are using. Um, I, I don't mind sharing because uh, I, I don't think there's any secrets you can steal from us. I, I hope everyone starts doing better marketing. But the three top channels for us are our organic LinkedIn page is a huge, huge source of inbound traffic, which we later convert to demo and pricing requests. Our second source is our email list. So we have hundreds of thousands of fans that love getting our emails. Like I've got e incoming emails saying, how can I get more emails from Gong? That's what people are writing, literally. Like, so you know your content is good when, when they do that. Um, and the third is our virtual events. So if I, if I had to cut out everything else, if I had to go back to being a one-person team, which I've been five times because I've, I've been the first marketer at five companies, the first three things I would do is manage our LinkedIn page, our email subscription list, and when I could, our virtual events. Those three mm -hmm. things account for the majority of what's working for us right now. I see some of you taking notes. Please don't don't go tell your boss, Udi said that these are the three <laughs> things we need to focus on because they are right for me. I don't know if yeah. they're right for you right now. I don't know where your audience lives. If you're selling to, to millennial YouTubers, they're probably not on LinkedIn. Go find them on TikTok or Clubhouse or wherever they are. So you've got to test these things for yourself and, and figure it out. Mm -hmm. But definitely the focus is on repeatable revenue marketing machine that brings in the leads eventually on auto mode. And, and like mm -hmm. we have, you know, we, we obsess about measuring the response time. Um, someone wrote on Sunday, this last Sunday, someone wrote on LinkedIn. Um, I reached out to three customer success leaders at Gong, asking them about an open role. All three responded within like two hours. That's pretty amazing on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's customer success people. But if, if you, if you put in your demo request on our website, either using the Bruno bot or in a form, you should get the first answers within like minutes. And we obsess about these SLAs. Every Tuesday morning, we have a revenue leadership meeting. We look at every segment like, oh, why are they below 90% meeting their SLA, which mm -hmm. is within two hours, get back to every inbound lead. That's the stuff that, that really moves the needle. Once you, you master that stuff, that really moves the needle. Yeah, let's talk through it. Because honestly, I think a lot of companies deal with follow up for a lot of different reasons, geo territories, account segmentation, like Jimmy over here needs to do the enterprise and Susie's doing the SMB and Jimmy can only handle Boston. So we need to figure out the territory. Is there something that you do in order to facilitate that like sub five minute response time on a pricing or demo request? Because honestly, I, I don't see a lot of companies getting there. Um, yes. Well, first, there, there is a there's a technological barrier that you need to solve. So you need good people who know the systems and the tools at hand to figure it out. Like we had a breakthrough when we lowered the time that it takes a lead to get from our website to an SDR alert from like 23 minutes to seven minutes. There was a lot, I can't even explain to you <laughs> what Kyle on my team did there, but he did some magic and sorcery that, that cut through a lot of systems that were holding back the response time. So we could cut, cut down that uh, th that valuable time. But the second thing is really having the entire company obsessing over what we call create raving fans, right? We, we have eight operating principles. They're, they're all on our website. The first one is create raving fans. And that means that everything we do is designed to create a raving fan experience. How do we create a raving fan experience for a prospect asking for pricing, no matter where they are in the world? 
uh, try us. Like, go at 4 a.m. or when you're traveling somewhere, go to our website and ask for a demo. Tell me what you think of the experience. You can have a friendly chat with a robot dog any time of the of the day or night. And if you if we can pre-qualify you, because we use a lot of real-time enrichment and fancy products to do that, if we can pre-qualify you, you can schedule your own demo at any time or of day or night uh, directly with an AE. And if, if we can't pre-qualify you, then we'll let you schedule a short discovery call with an inbound SDR. And we've got all these different tiers of figuring out um, how much resources we want to spend on talking to you basing, based on your qualification. And, and tie that in with the raving fan experience. So like, we count the clicks that it takes you to schedule a call. I want to eliminate any unnecessary clicks to do that. Uh, right. Don't assume that just because someone wants to talk to you, you can drag them through a 20 click experience. That That's horrible. Like who wants that? I love, the, I love the calendar booking. I imagine that the conversion rate from that to SQL, SQO is significantly better than through a demo form and then waiting three hours to get an email back from an SDR. For, for sure. For sure. We want to make sure that the people, I mean, here's the thing, right? Because when you look at the, the, the world out there, they're the ones that you want to sell to. They're the ones that are now interested in you. If you can draw that Venn diagram and find the overlap of the ones that you want to sell to and are currently at the very moment interested in talking to you, those are your hottest leads, right? You really want to talk to them now. So design your website experience to capture those people with as close to zero friction as you can and and go through the process yourself have your partner go through the process have your mother go through the process of asking for a demo if she gets stuck many of her prospects are getting stuck mm. like design it that, that really any any imbecile could go through the process and and don't make it difficult to get hold of you don't make it difficult so many companies they ask me like 25 <laughs> things on the form i want to talk to you but not that badly <laughs> <laughs> love that Love that. Cool. Um, Angelica, you got a couple, couple questions we can go with Udi on? Yeah, we got a couple. Um, let's see. So question for Udi, what were, or would you be now, or would be now your priorities as the first marketer at a company, specifically if you have a limited budget? So the, the, the first thing here's, here's what I do when I, when I come into a company, I, I start thinking about outbound and inbound now inbound, is going to take a lot of time, but that's the holy grail, right? Um, currently at Gong, 40% of our pipeline comes in inbound, 40%. When I joined the company four and a half years ago, that was zero because nobody ever heard of us. Nobody was on my website. Nobody was converting. Nobody cared. Um, but I started building an inbound engine early so that four years later, I have 40% of a very big pipeline coming in inbound. So you want to start that early, but set expectations to yourself and everyone around you that the fruits of that effort are going to come in much, much later, but you have to start it early or you're going to delay the, the fruits. The second thing is go very aggressive on outbound on day one. That is the only way you're going to keep your job and the company is going to stay alive until their next round of funding. By going aggressive on outbound, I mean usually the following. So if you're in B2B, uh, usually content marketing is going to work. It's, it's worked for most B2B companies that I've worked for. So we came up with a unique strategy of what can we educate our buyers on that nobody else is doing in the way that we're thinking about doing so that we're top of mind for them when they're finally ready to buy something. Um, in our case, the, the short version of it was there are a million books on sales, but they're all based on someone's individual experience and opinion there's nothing out there based on data. And 
every other profession I know, like marketing and finance, they're already working on metrics and dashboards and A-B testing and analytics, but sales is still living in the dark, in the dark ages, or so they were four and a half years ago. So we're going to be the number one authority on data-backed sales. We're going to show people, demonstrate what actually works and doesn't work based on our own analysis. And we we, we were fortunate that that that, that was a re- very good bet. And till this day, that's what we're known for. And that's what people consume every day on our LinkedIn page and our emails and our events, et cetera. And then to go with that, uh, we hired an SDR like almost on day one to start making calls, very bad cold calls, which we tweaked very, very quickly using our own tool, Gong, to, to quickly see what's working and not working. So you've got to go very aggressive on, on outbound to get in front of as many people as you can. Our CEO personally sold the first probably 50 companies himself because he said, how can I hire a VP sales and expect them to figure it out if I don't know how to sell my own product? So he hired me a full year before he hired a VP sales to start building demand gen, to start building a brand so that when our VP sales came in, he already had a platform to work on. He had leads coming in, he had meetings set, and he could focus on actually closing those leads. That is so smart. That is awesome. Uh, Love that. Maybe one more question. So I just to clarify for people, I love the idea of getting CMO VP of marketing in first, building the engine and then having sales come. Most series seed series A companies do the opposite. And then you have an expensive VP of sales with no leads that has to build it from the ground up with no brand. It's a tough place to be for that VP of sales. The one warning that I would attach to that recommendation, though, is, um, and I've, I've written and talked about this extensively, the, the, the one biggest thing that I don't think marketing can fix is product market fit. So if the company has not achieved product market fit yet, you're probably wasting a lot of money if you're asking marketing to des- design a message. I mean, how can I design a message for a product that doesn't work or nobody wants? Uh, I, can't, I can't do that. And, and that's why the marketing gets fired and, and a new one has come, oh, they'll bring great messaging and they'll build a manager. I can't build a manager if you don't have a product that people want to use. So um, I, I try and become a better judge of product market fit before I join a company. And, and you should probably do that. Um, I've worked for companies where there was not great product market fit. I don't know how to fix that. Um, maybe some of you do, but if you don't, um, that should be a big warning sign for you. If you don't see product market fit and there's ways for for checking it, go read their G2 reviews, ask to talk to three customers. Um, if nobody is excited and loving the product, you might want to look for somewhere else where there's that initial product market fit that will allow you to succeed as a marketer. Cool. I think we got time for one more. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. So Daniel asked, what are your thoughts on the cookie list future and what's the responsibility of brands there? Good, good point. So uh, first I will say I am not the world's best expert on the alternatives that are emerging. I know that there are to uh, to the cookie-less future. Um, I think it will limit our ability to personalize our, our marketing. And uh, we're going to have ways, we're going to have to find ways sometimes that are less scalable to do that, right? So retargeting is going to become more difficult. Uh, providing a personal experience on our website, it's going to be- become more difficult. Uh, but if you have a, a team of uh, rockstar SDRs that know how to personalize their message and you're finding other ways of communicating with, with customers, I mean, on social media, I don't do almost any personalization and works really, really well. Um, in many of the sort of Marketo emails, I'm not doing any personalization and it works really, really well because we write them in a very human, compelling way 
way in virtual events. We don't do any personalization, but they work really, really well. So I think that's one area of, of marketing on your website where, where the cookie less future is definitely going to have an impact. But uh, I, I don't see this as you know collapsing the whole house of cards of marketing programs that we've built. It's just one medium. We're going to adapt to it. And I'm sure there are going to be uh, interesting solutions and hacks to get around uh, some of the challenges that that brings on. And I think it gives it gives marketers that are really strong an advantage against those that needs tools like that in order to perform well. It's the way that I feel. It could be interesting. I think if you took away, um, if you took away the tools and the different things like that, then the really great marketers shine. That That is true. You know, one way uh, I like talking about these tools is like, don't get a tool that will allow you to run a bad campaign to more people, but that's what a lot of marketers do. <laughs> Right. Like give, think about it. You're not even a marketing tool. Give, give like an outreach or a sales loft to a bad SDR. And like, oh, my God, the amount of carnage that they can do is incredible. We, we had one rep come in. I won't mention his name because I love the guy and he's one of our top reps today. But when he came in, he was so uh, zealous about getting out there. He basically like downloaded our entire CRM. Luckily, only had like 5000 contacts in it, put it in his outreach cadence and blasted the. <laughs> shit out of everything and we're like oh my god what is this guy doing and a lot of marketers do that they're like oh if i just have the right tools i'll get drift and i'll get market those are great tools they're not going to solve your marketing problems they're not going to mm. solve what you communicate with customers how often you do it uh in what tone of voice you do it what are you telling them what's the follow-up you've got to still figure all that out the tools are going to help you automate something and hopefully you've got something good that you want to scale but don't say something bad and hope that the tool will help you scale it and that'll bring you a good result. It'll just be doing more of a bad thing. So watch out for that as well. <laughs> Love that point. Cool. Uh, Udi, any final words? This has been amazing. I'm sure that people have loved it. Uh, really love diving deep into that with you, but would love if you have anything to close out. No, um, uh, the best way to, to, to follow me and, and reach out is on LinkedIn. So there's only one Udi Lettergore on LinkedIn. So it should be pretty easy to find. Um, please uh, follow me. And uh, I apologize in advance if I can't get back to everyone and every request. Uh, I get more of them than I, I should. Uh, and, and I wish I could answer more of them. So uh, best of luck to everyone. I will try and do my help to, to, to answer anything that I do get on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you everyone for joining. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you back for another episode soon. Thank you, Udi. Thank you. See you soon. Bye.